You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's up, everybody? It's the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7 with me. Kip Adams, also of Dogs 24-7. We don't have Rusty today. He has some stuff he had to take care of. Uh, but listen, we got a good show for you. We're going to talk about the 2022 schedule that was released yesterday. Uh, you know, a lot to talk about as far as that goes. Uh, we're going to hit the high points, and then we're going to go mailbag. Uh, and we're going to answer questions from the, the good folks over at the uh, Dogs 24-7 website, the, the Junkyard, over at the message board. And we're going to answer some YouTube questions. Uh, some of the commenters, some of the people that are in this on the live stream, please, please, please send us a question. We will try our best to get to it. But, Kip, 2022 schedule is out. Number one takeaway. We'll get to more than one, so don't feel like you got to like uh, fit them all into a, a little cluster here. But your number one takeaway from that schedule. You know, it's crazy. I, I completely forgot Georgia had even scheduled Oregon. And they should, I mean, that, that obviously stood out right front and center is that, you know, we're kind of doing this all over again. You look at this year's schedule and and how amped everybody was for that, that first game of the year and how it was kind of a, a tone setter for, you know, a couple games into the season here. We still don't really know what Georgia's overall, you know, what the storyline is going to be when all is said and done. But and the Clemson game was the discussion all off season, and so it seems like, uh, you know, six months from now, no matter how this season goes, we're going to be talking about the Ducks a lot. You know, when it comes to August, September, and that obviously stood out. It's going to be kind of the the feature of Georgia's schedule, the the the, the headliner, and then uh, the other thing I saw is that you are going to be sweating in Columbia. Uh, I, I could already see. Uh, on the you know, walk they, in, they've got a closed press box, so I'm excited about that. But on the walk in, it's going to be hot. Yeah, that. Well, the fans, I should say, um, guys, yeah. go ahead and uh, get as hydrated as you can, actual hydrated as you can before uh, before, before getting into that game because it's gonna. Yeah, it's gonna take some out of you. You guys are gonna lose some water weight being in the stands f- for that game. So I, I think. Uh, you know that that's big, and then the last I just think that, that that there's a big home stretch, like you know the month of October, uh, playing in Athens. That's obviously gonna gonna be a, a big big part of the storyline as well. Just you know playing in Athens in that month, and and how important that's gonna be in the middle of the season, because we as we always say, I mean it it is a grind, and and so uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of what stood out overall, and the fact that we just don't know what you know, we're, we're going to see a lot of these teams, people are already ranking schedules out there trying to say which schedules the hardest, which schedules the easiest. Uh, did anyone have, you know, Arkansas is a, a top 20 team coming into this season? Uh, no. And they're on Georgia's schedule now as possibly Georgia's third toughest opponent this year. So I just think that it's a little early to be ranking uh, schedules and trying to figure out who's got the easy slate and who's got the tough slate at this point in the year. 
Dude, you nailed it. I, I'm talking about crushed it with that whole like ranking schedules thing and not knowing. Listen, Arkansas may be the best team on Georgia's schedule this year based on what we've seen from Clemson, what we've seen from Florida. I mean, listen, Florida played Alabama really close, but Arkansas's got the best win thus far. I mean, Arkansas's win may be better than Georgia's, you know, win over Clemson uh, for all we know. So, you know, there, there's still so much of this story um, yet to be, you know, read or, or told or however you want to say it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I think next year's schedule looks favorable, just like this year's schedule looked favorable. But all of a sudden, Georgia's got a fringe top 25 team in Kentucky this year in October. They've got Florida. They've got Arkansas. And uh, help me out with the other one. I'm missing it. Florida, let's see. Auburn. Auburn. Oh, yeah. That's of course I'm going to forget Auburn. Why, why should that game ever be played in October? But it is. <laughs> uh, um, but, yeah, you know, Georgia – I mean, Georgia gets to play Florida, Auburn, Kentucky, and Arkansas all in the month of uh, of uh, October. And that that's looking like a pretty tough little slate there. That's a pretty tough little run. Um, and, and, you know, th- we didn't necessarily think that before the season. Now, who knows how good any of those teams are, you know? I mean – you know, Auburn may not be quite as good as as their ranking suggests. The same may be true for for Arkansas. Same may be true for you know the other two teams in the month. But I look at the 2022 schedule and tell you what, man, uh, I can't ever recall seeing Georgia play Florida and Tennessee back back. I know it's not what it once was, but um, you know, if you're Jim Donnan, uh, and and you know, I, I like Coach. I talk to Coach every now and then, and he's a good dude. But if you're Jim Don and you're Ray Goff, uh, you're you look at that schedule and and you know I don't know if you have flashback PTSD, cold sweats, you know thinking about having to play those two teams from back in the day back to back. Ooh, that would have been that would have been really tough to have to deal with. I mean Georgia did on occasion have Florida and Auburn back to back, so that was uh, they had them in '97, beat Florida and Jacksonville for the first time in forever, and then lose the lose to Auburn, uh, you know, the very next week in Athens. So, but, you know, I look at that when I see that, I see the two road games in November, Kip. You got to go to Starkville, Stark Vegas. Talked to you about this last night. And uh, and you got to go to Kentucky. Let me tell you something. Lexington, Kentucky is brisk, is brisk in, uh, in November. Uh, but do you see do you see a tough point on that schedule as it is right now? Do you see like a little run of games where you're like, oh, that's, that's what Georgia's got to get through? It's a really, really – I don't want to use the word weird schedule. It's just interesting. I mean, they don't leave the state of Georgia until September 24th. You go back-to-back Columbia's. I mean, then you're in Athens a couple weeks, that off week, and, and then Jacksonville. Um, it's just, a like you said, it's a really interesting schedule. and It seems like, you know, they're not having to hit the road for extremely tough games in this one. I mean, like you, uh, South Carolina, Missouri – Mississippi State and Kentucky, I think the November slate is the most intriguing. At that point, we should have a pretty good idea of where they stand in, 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 the, SC, in the SEC and, and in the division. So I do think it stacks pretty well for Georgia it's just as far as when their tests are going to be, right off the bat getting that test, but then also you know getting some games to get some other guys some experience right after that the Sanford and Kent State if you got guys you want to get you know some experience in before going on the road those games are going to be crucial uh, just for preparing for that for playing in Columbia both Columbia's as I said so and you know I like the way it's it's scheduled out um you know I think that we don't really know 
uh, how Florida is going to look overall. I still don't know a lot about this Florida offense. And I think, you know, is Anthony Richardson going to be the starting quarterback at that point next year? I mean, that's obviously something we're all watching. So I think, you know, that that game's always going to be big on Georgia's schedule. But overall, I just think the road games are manageable and they're well-placed. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. And uh, you pointed out the the three first three weeks in the state of Georgia uh, of the season, and then you got actually a pretty short little road trip. You know, uh, South Carolina is one of the shorter you know drives on the schedule. Georgia won't drive it; they'll fly it. Probably a up and down type deal where you know they reach altitude for you know about three hundred yards and then descend, uh, and that's basically all that'll be. Um, so you know, then then they go to Columbia, Missouri, a place where they've they haven't lost. Uh, you know, they've won six straight in Columbia, Missouri. We'll see if they can make it seven straight. And then uh, the month of October really shapes up to look a lot different, uh, I believe, than, than it does this year. But, again, there's still a lot yet to be told there. And um, I haven't done all the breakdowns of who has a bye week before Georgia and, and whatnot. Um, I'm sure somebody has. But um, no, I, I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary. I, I know it, no Florida has a bye week before Georgia, but they share that one as well. So, We'll see how it goes, but that's kind of our look at the 2022 schedule. Let's take a break here real quick, and on the other side, we're going to get to as many mailbag questions as we possibly can. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Kip, Hawaii Surf Dog says, one player we have not heard much on yet this season that by the time his career at Georgia is over, he's going to be a household name. This one caught me you, off you, guard. Missed the first question. So you, you want you want me to go first on this one? That's thinking? how awesome I am. Yeah, go All ahead. All right. All right. Well, you know what? Just kind of looking at guys that haven't really had a chance to break through in the lineup, you know, just based on depth. You know, I'll go small Munden. Uh, it, it, you just look at Channing Tindall this year, a guy that, you know, kind of the forgotten man. People wondered, you know, uh, is he going to even, you know, emerge as a starter before his career uh, is over? It, it's because he's, you know, there's been some outstanding inside backers for Georgia. You can just kind of look at the rotations Georgia's had since Kirby Smart got here. 2016, 2017, you had Roquan emerging, and then you, you had Reggie Carter in there, but then the Tres Patrick kind of bridging that gap between 2017 and 2018. You know, you know, a guy that's a downhill guy, and then a guy who can kind of roam the field. That's been kind of a working combo for Georgia. The 2018, 2019, then you had Tay Crowder, you know, coming through as the experienced guy, and then the Tres Patrick, you know, eventually giving way to Monty Rice, you know, being that guy next to Tay Crowder. Uh, last season, you had Monty Rice obviously in there, and then you had uh, Nicobe Dean emerging as the guy next to Rice with with Clay Walker coming through there and, and being that third guy. Now you got Nicobe Dean as that you know that one guy, and then you, you thought it would be Clay Walker again, but now Channing Tindall's kind of emerged as, as a guy that really has played a lot of you know a lot of snaps for Georgia, and so. That other that other backer position with with Channing Tindall and, and Quay Walker is 
these are guys with the size, frame, and speed that you haven't really seen at Georgia. They've kind of been more sawed-off guys, you know, as far as their frame and guys that, you know, they can either come downhill or just track the football. These are guys that can kind of do a little bit of everything just because of the, the overall package that they have. And so you look at Xavier Sori, uh, you know, he got there in the spring and, and great reviews on him. 6'3", 215 pounds. Kirby Smart really praised him. One of the few freshmen he praised in the offseason, uh, along with another inside backer, you know, Jamon Dumas Johnson, who obviously has already got a pick six in his first snap at Georgia. So that's another guy that down the road everyone could really know. But I think Xavier Snorri is a guy that just looking at the upside and knowing that you can be patient at that position because of the depth they've built in that room. I think two, three years from now, he could really be a guy that's just that next guy at that position that's emerging as kind of a, uh, you know, a nationally known guy and a guy that, you know, could really, really make a lot of big plays for Georgia in big time games down the road. Now that I've had some time to think about it, um, it's between Nylon Green and Jared Wilson for me. I'm going to go Nylon Green because nobody gives offensive linemen respect. I thought about that too. That was yeah. my thought. I thought about Jared Wilson. I'm like, there are not a lot of linemen that are household names. Yeah, I think I think Nylon Green, maybe at some point this year, is going to do something on special teams. Um, you know, maybe get an opportunity that way. But I, I just, I, you know, I, I, I don't know why, Kip. I, certain podcasts kind of stick in my brain, and the one that sticks in my head is the one we did after Nylon Green committed to Georgia. And, you know, Rusty talking about the, the offense, defense, and special teams thing. I really like him as a football player. I think he's going to make some plays before his career is over and and, and maybe some big plays and big moments. Uh, we'll, we'll get a look at that, um, you know, but it'll probably be next year, maybe even the year after that. Uh, you know, you mentioned Channing Tindall. You know, there are a handful of players, Latavius Brini, um, Amir Speed, several guys on this football team, Tramel Walthour, that are make that it took a couple two or three years to make an impact. They're still playing at a high level. Jack's dog says, "Who will be our? That's UGA, uh, isn't that is what he's talking about? Uh, top receiver heading into the cocktail party." Listen, there's two. I look at this as two different categories: who's going to lead Georgia in receptions and who's going to lead Georgia in yards. Brock Bauer is going to be Georgia's team leader in yards. I mean, sorry, in receptions. In my opinion, I think Jermaine Burton is going to catch him. With the uh, with the yardage before it's all said and done, he's not very far behind right now, uh, but I think he's the one that's going to kind of catch uh, Brock Bowers in yardage before the Florida game. Uh, but I still think Bowers is going to get. It. There's too many of those dump offs, Kip. There's too many of those screen game type things that they're doing with Bowers right now. I, I think Brock Bowers probably on is probably in line to catch 50, 60 balls this year just because they're so dead set on almost extending the run game by throwing the ball to him underneath. Uh, who are, who you got? Well, I mean, it's really kind of just a three-man a three race at this point, and you mentioned two of them already, you know, in Jermaine Burton and Brock Bowers. My only thing with Brock is, does does he hit that freshman wall, you know, as, as far as, you know, there's only two more games. You know, you got Arkansas, you got, you know, the Vanderbilt game obviously as well as big. I mean, like, does he hit that wall in the next couple of weeks and do other guys get healthy and start kind of taking the, you know, spreading the snaps around a little bit more? Uh, I don't know. I mean, come Auburn, come Kentucky, you know, are we talking more about A.D. Mitchell? You know, is, is A.D. Mitchell, he's a guy that seemed to get more looks in this last game against South Carolina. And, and uh, you know, if he's, he's able to, to haul in some of these passes, 
he could start moving up the board. I think he's already got six for about a buck 20 and a, and a touchdown right now. I think he's a guy that, that, that could continue to kind of move up that list. If Karis Jackson's healthy, you just never really know. He could, he could be a guy that kind of sneaks in there. But I do agree. It's, you know, Brock Bowers obviously ha- is the leader in the clubhouse, and he's a guy that JT Daniels loves getting the ball to. It's not, I mean, you could say it's 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 Monken that's kind of dialing up the plays, but it's pretty clear that they have chemistry and, and JT knows he can trust them. And if, you know, that's it. If once once you got the quarterback's trust, you know, it's it's really, really tough to, to not get a couple balls thrown your way in every game. Very true. L, I think this is L. Johns. 70. Uh, I'm sorry if it's not L, but that's what it looks like there at the front. Uh, do you think there are any Georgia transfers that left the program and they're also regretting that decision? Listen, this is a tough one because a lot of times these guys are moving closer to home and, and you know, listen, I, I know you guys don't want to hear this, but there are people who think there are bigger things to life than football. Um, there are people that actually play the sport, coach the sport, that really truly do believe that, and and they're happier when thing, those things are going well than they are when football is going well. Um, but with that said, I think one guy I've got to point to is Tyreek Stevenson. Um, you know, I think he – I just think um, – well, for whatever reason, obviously you want to get back closer to home. I know he considered Miami heavily coming out of high school, uh, but Miami's struggling, and he's struggling. And I felt like at times over the past couple of years at Georgia that there were times – and listen, it wasn't consistent as a sophomore, and there were just flashes as a freshman. But there were times where he looked like one of the most talented football players on the field. And uh, I don't know if it's usage uh, at Miami. I don't know if it's regression. I, I couldn't tell you. I haven't really watched him play a ton. Um, but but I do know that that I've watched him play a little bit. I've seen him struggle. I've seen a lot of lot written about his struggles, and I think that's a guy that I would uh, that I would point to as maybe regretting that decision a little bit, especially considering he was going to be a starter uh, more than likely for Georgia this season. Yeah, I mean, like you said, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, obviously playing times a, usually a big thing, but it's it's location. I mean. You mentioned Tyreek Stevenson. I was thinking about Devod Wilson. I was thinking about guys like Luke Ford. Uh, and in the end, Major Burns. I mean, these guys are were going close closer to their family. And and the, so that's a big factor. I think the one people are talking about a lot would, would be Jermaine Johnson. And you know, they're not they're not playing great football at Florida State right now, but Jermaine's putting up a lot of film. And that one, that one just completely flew over my head. I didn't even realize that he one. Is, he I, is, he been, is padding yeah. the the box scores right now. He definitely so is. I don't. I couldn't tell you as far as his state of mind of of being in a program that seems to be in a little bit of disarray. And again, you're getting beat by uh, Wake Forest by 21 points, and obviously the Jacksonville State game. And these are losses that. You think you would never have seen at Florida State, but that's where they are right now. But I mean, he is again thirty tackles. I think he's got six tackles for loss, five sacks, um, and, and so in three three starts, he's putting up a lot of film. Really, where that goes as far as the NFL is concerned, or, or his ultimate goal, uh, I couldn't tell you. But he's definitely putting up numbers. Um, I can't say the same for Brenton Cox at Florida right now, but. Um, you know, he is where he is, and, and we'll uh, we'll definitely – he'll be one of the big storylines in, in Jacksonville. I know he had a, 
some quotes for that Alabama game, and I think he ended up having uh, four tackles and a sack, a pass breakup in that game. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it's hard to know if any of these guys are regretting it because they're in new programs. They made the decision, and they're big parts of those programs so far. So I think that was their ultimate goal, and it happens pretty often. I mean, you, you look at Georgia's transfers that came in. I mean, obviously, Kirby Smart's you know, been able to to get some impact guys to the transfer portal. And a lot of those guys are a long ways from home as well. You know, look at JT Daniels obviously being the, the one front and center for this program right now. So locations often plays a role, but just getting a fresh start and getting the chance to make an impact somewhere else, it, it's usually where, uh, you know, these guys' motivation lie. Yeah, if you look at it in a, like a three-point system here, closer to home uh, where they can see family more, uh, are they having success? Is their team having success? I guess you would kind of line up there with, you know, Tyreek Stevenson did get closer to home, but struggling the other two areas. Jermaine Johnson is having a lot of success, but not closer to home and not and the team sucks real bad. So, uh, I mean, there's just no other way to say it. I'm sorry if you're a Florida State fan. I, I kind of grew up a little bit down there in South Georgia, uh, liking Florida State a little bit too. And uh, man, I, I just, I, you just didn't even have that uh notion that that you'd watch them start a season zero and three with a loss to an fcs opponent uh, but they've done that and uh it's it's been ugly and and after they had a proposal after that fcs game that was is really getting ripped heard danny cannell ripping it the other day on the ryan Rosillo podcast but uh uh yeah those those two definitely come to mind and uh i'm a, listen i'm a big fan of jermaine johnson guys if you want a little little nugget there on Jermaine Johnson left Georgia with an absolute sterling reputation as a, as a kid to coach and as a teammate um, beloved by those people who knew him well. And, and I, you know, heck we dealt with him very rarely in the media, a great kid there too, but felt like he needed to move on somewhere where he could up his NFL draft stock. And uh, maybe he's doing that at Florida state. I hope he is. I hope he's doing really well with that. All right. You, my boy blue, uh, Sorry if I yelled right there, but that is the uh, that's the screen name I'm dealing with here. Uh, is the Georgia staff presenting NIL opportunities to recruits? Do you broadly foresee NIL pitches becoming as important as playing time, scheme, et cetera? Um, number one, first question, you better hope not because it's against the rules right now. So you can't do it for the time being. Um, and and it's not that way everywhere. It's not that way with every state and every conference and all that stuff, but it is that way with Georgia and the SEC. Um, so, no, not right now. I, I do think it's going to be a big deal, but I also agree with Kirby Smart, Kip. I think this is going to even out at some point because the market is going to correct. Um, the dude up at the Chevy place who gives a guy $40,000 and it doesn't really do much for him, they're going to figure that out, and they're going to. There's going to be some misses here. There was a good point. I brought up that Ryan Rosillo podcast here a while ago. There was a good point with him the other day. He mentioned how he was talking to a coach, and a coach told him he's like, "Hey, listen, we bring a five star in here, and he becomes a bust. It's one thing. We bring a five star in here, and and we, you know, the, you know, behind the scenes, there's an, there's a couple of really good NIL deals for him, and they end up paying that kid a half million dollars, and he's a bust. It's a totally different thing." I mean, you want to talk about these boosters who write checks to pay buyouts? You want to screw them over a couple times with, a, or make them feel screwed over a couple times with a couple busts that they have, that they fork out real deal money to five star kids? I mean, they'll be quick to write that check and get you out of there. So you know, th- listen, there there's a lot of this that still got to unfold, but I still think it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big deal with some big time guys. 
Um, and and I think, but but right now the way it is is you're going to have to point. You're going to say, hey, look at look at the deal JT Daniels got. Look at the deal Brock Vandergrift got. Look at the deal, um, you know, Jordan Davis has gotten. Even though he basically earned that on his own with Gorilla Glue and being so good in the first game. Uh, but but you know that's where it's going to come from. And and ultimately at the end of the day, it's going to come down to this. Don't these recruits are going to learn at one point or another not to count the pennies while watching the dollars blow away, okay? Like the NFL, if you're really good and you're, you know, basically what I'm saying here is if you're really good, then get better at your craft because ultimately you're going to make a lot more money at the next level if you've got that potential. And those guys know who they are, okay? Um, You're going to get a lot better at the next level if you've got that potential. You're going to make a lot more money at the next level if you've got that potential than you will in any sort of NIL deal in college. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen so far that most of the big-time NIL deals have gone to quarterbacks. And so other other positions, I mean, I think what we're waiting to see is whether a big-time iconic play in a game leads to an NIL deal after the after the play is made. As far as recruiting is concerned, I, I don't think that it's – directly going to lead to any changes if you're at a big time program you could already sell them on all kinds of opportunities and nil being one of them not specifically anything but i mean you've already seen deals for all the big time programs from players at multiple positions life-changing money uh you know that's debatable but I think we've already seen that, you know, obviously it's helping guys. I mean, getting these deals that they were not able to get before is huge for, for a lot of players. But I think as far as the the companies, you, you kind of see two different kinds. You see, uh, you know, maybe some companies that are fans of a certain program that have disposable income, just kind of putting it out there and trying to help the program overall. And then you have the major companies who are trying to get ROI. And I think that's where, you know, maybe they'll find out they're not getting that return on investment that they thought they would get. I mean, maybe a player doesn't have a big season or it just isn't discussed nationally. And then your your huge promotional deal kind of falls flat. And, and, and even if they do have a big season, you might not get ROI on that because people, I mean, it just might not really pay off the way that a lot of these companies think it will because maybe, you know, they're not really a big national name as you know, like a Tom Brady or, or guys that are in, already in the league. So I think we're, you know, a year from now, they're going to be able to go back and crunch the numbers and, and look and say, was this money well spent? And then at the same time, uh, you know, schools can uh, can go out and say, our guys earned this amount of money. We're going to see a lot of maybe those tweets next year, just from uh, schools saying our players earned so-and-so money, or maybe not tweets, but at least pitches to recruits. You know, our guys earned on average $57,000 last year. And that overall could be something. Specific NIL deals? No. It's too random. You, you can't really project something like that. And like you said, schools can't set that up really themselves in most states. So it's it's that's the one weird thing about this is that you still have every single state with different rules on NIL and different interpretations. So every program is having to kind of navigate it in a different way. So it, it's, too, it's not really a an overall thing that we can predict right now, like we did early signing period, things like that. So I just think we need more time to kind of just see the overall impact of it all. But 
hey, it's positive. These guys are uh, getting some recognition and, and, and some assistance in their lives uh, while they're attending college and playing college football. So, yeah, uh, I totally agree with that. I completely agree with that. Let's uh, let's get one more of these from the uh, junkyard uh, so that we can move into these uh, YouTube questions here real quick. Buffalo Dog 5, how's your mom and them? Uh, best chance of guys who are eligible to leave that indeed come back. I'm going to say Nolan Smith. I don't know why. I really don't. I just – I don't know, man. I think Nolan Smith loves Georgia. I think Nolan Smith loves college football. I think Nolan Smith loves – Kirby Smart. I think Nolan Smith loves Dan Lanning. Um, I think he's an old soul. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I just get the feeling. It's just kind of a gut feeling from hearing him talk and and those types of things. I think he'll be a guy that's eligible to leave who who decides to come back. Who's yours, Kip? Man, I really like that one. I think one thing under Kirby Smart is he's done a good job getting those defensive guys to come back overall. Um, yeah, uh, that, that one's tough. I think a guy that's, you know, draft eligible that is is having a good season but kind of has a chance to maybe emerge as one of the top guys this position next year is is Lewis seen you know I, I think you know his his draft stock is is improving so far this year I don't think he's really you know been tested as far as whether or not he's given up big plays I think overall you know I don't know where he would grade right now as far as his level of play but I think that you know, he's played pretty well so far for Georgia. I think Kirby Smart would tell you that he'd wish he wasn't, you know, tied for the team league in tackles. But at the same time, uh, he's been pretty solid back there, kind of emerging as, as that next big-time safety for Georgia. But I just think that, again, he might be a guy that's maybe a second-rounder at the end of the year. And, you know, Kirby Smart's able to, like you said, with Nolan Smith, give him that recruitment recruiting pitch to come back and, and be maybe one of the top three or four safeties heading into the next year's draft. Maybe he ends up being a first round pick next year. I just think that, you know, we've talked about him a lot and his potential, I think for over a year now. And I just think his physicality, his ability to cover ground and the fact that every single game he plays getting more experience, he's going to be able to play even faster out there. I just think he's a guy that next year could really be a big time impact player and, kind of give uh, Georgia, you know, a sense of comfort knowing that they're not going to get big beat deep, but they're also going to have a guy who can come up and, and really lay the wood when he needs to. All right. Listen, I'm going to answer a personal question from these uh, from these uh, YouTube questions here. Mr. Super Funky calls, asked me about my Mizuno hat. He says, uh, what, I, what I need to know, Jay, you wear a Mizuno hat all the time. Can you play golf? Or is it based off coaching like baseball baseball or something all right uh i i do try to play a little golf i'm not awful terrible but i'm i'm not great either i'm about a 12 handicap i wear this hat because i've got a giant head okay and this one fits really good i've got another one that's black and gray that i wear quite a bit as well um, i like wearing hats and uh, i'll probably at some point own every one of these mizuno hats they have for sale on amazon because they're like 25 bucks they're not the 35 40 fitted hats and they're uh, flex fit. They're very comfortable. They're very cool, and I like them. So that one's uh, that one's that one. Uh, Jeff uh, P forty seven. How does MJ Sherman look? Well, we've actually gotten a chance to see him the last couple games. And uh, listen, I think he's a pretty good looking player. I, I, he lost a lot of reps this spring, Kip. I could see MJ Sherman being a little bit bigger part of Georgia's defensive plans. Um, maybe you 
you know, around the bye week after the bye week than he is right now as he kind of catches up. And another thing about those labrum injuries like that, um, you'll have guys that have had those tell you. I've had a couple of former players reach out to me this offseason whenever I was writing about them or, or talking about them, and, and they told me they're like, you know, every guy's different. Some guys come back from it immediately and they feel great and, and everything's good. And then some guys, it takes a little while for them to gain confidence, almost like an ACL. Um, MJ Sherman plays a position where you need to really be confident in, in, in your ability to strike. And I, I think that's something. But what do you think about that? How do you, uh, what have you seen from MJ Sherman? I mean, it's been kind of unlimited so far. Uh, got to see him a, a little bit whenever uh, I was kind of taking over a little bit for you. Got to, they got to see uh, just, you know, very, very small amount so far. I don't think we've really seen the best out of him yet. I mean, obviously, like you said, he's coming back from the injury. You know, I think he, he had a shared tackle for loss out there. I know one thing, they're they're probably going to need him next year. So I just think as the year goes on, they're going to know, they're going to try to get a better idea uh, of what they have in him because – if Kirby's not able to bring Nolan Smith back, I mean, we know Adam Anderson, and it's gonna, you know, he he he's going on uh, to play big time football and and might be a first rounder next year, so they're gonna need Sherman a lot. And I think if if they don't love what they see for him this year, I mean, that's a position that you could be looking to the transfer portal. So I think he's gonna have his time to audition this year and basically show whether or not he can be a starter next year uh, for Georgia. So I think, like you said, coming back from injury, I think he's going get, to get more and more confident in himself every single week. And the opportunity is going to be there for, for MJ to uh, emerge as that next, uh, the next edge guy for Georgia. So I know he had a lot of talent coming out. You know, you get a, you get more months under your belt coming off the injury. I think he'll have a chance to kind of show why he was a highly rated recruit, but. Kirby's going to want to see it because that position's just too important in Georgia's defense. All right, my man Brian Carey too has uh, has Florida on the brain. Uh, he says if Georgia's run game doesn't improve, are we going to struggle against Florida being one dimensional? He also asks immediately after that, does George Pickens play in the Florida game? I'm going to answer both of those with yes. And uh, on the first question, I'm not listen. I mean, I ain't predicting. No, no, I don't think George Pickens plays against Florida, okay? I don't think that right now. I'd rather be wrong because y'all won't give a rat's backside if I'm wrong, okay? But uh, if if uh, if I'm right on that, then at least I'm right. Whereas otherwise, if I predict it wrong and get it wrong, I'm probably going to catch some flack. So I'm going to say no on George Pickens playing against Florida. I'm going to say absolutely 100% Georgia's got to get the run game going. They're going to struggle against any good team on the schedule. What you got, Kip? It's it's funny. Just reading that question, I can't help but chuckle a little bit because uh, I think you could flip the words. Uh, that We've seen that question every year going into that game, but it's the opposite. It's if Georgia's passing game doesn't improve, you know, are we going to struggle uh, against Florida? So Georgia becoming too one-dimensional, they've – they're airing it out too much now. Uh, where are we here with the, you know, what are you doing, Tom Monk? And, you, you know, we got to run the ball. I think that I, I think that Georgia's offensive line, like I said in the other pod, is going to continue to improve. And I think we saw flashes of that in the South Carolina game. I mean, they did run the ball efficiently. So I, I think, you know, what we've seen lately is kind of their ability to run the ball improving. And 
like I said before, when you have so many running backs that are each have kind of their own skill set, but also really talented in Zamir White and James Cook and Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton, you're still finding ways to best use them all. And so maybe Todd Munkin has to decide whether or not he wants to shrink the roles of some of these guys. And, you know, maybe you have two guys that are your focal point instead of four. If, does that give you a, a stronger run game, giving one guy 10 to 15 carries, another guy five to 10 carries, and maybe having a third guy there as a situational guy? Uh, that's something that, you know, maybe he looks to, to see if he can do in the, in the next couple of weeks. They, they've got obviously four games to figure that out. And I, I think we're going to learn more about whether or not you have a running back who can have 15 carries a game, or if you have a running back who can break off a run longer than 25 yards. So some people are, are pointing at the offensive line. I think it's more this running back group. We still have something to learn about these guys because you're just used to Georgia kind of having a, you know, one to two man attack under Kirby Smart. You've had thousand yard rushers almost, you know, every year and you, you probably would have had one last year if they played a full schedule. So this year it seems a little bit different, but I think it is a kind of a, an effect of them airing the ball out more. The defenses are saying we're going, we're lining up the, to take away the run and, and Georgia actually has a passing attack that can exploit that. You didn't really have that before. People line up in the box and Georgia still tried to run the ball with those guys in the box a lot. And, and so I, I think that you're kind of getting the, what you wanted to see. And now everyone's trying to look at the run game and, and ask where it is. I don't, I don't think it's gone. I think there's just, there's a, a method to that madness and they're, they're, they're taking the looks they're getting and they're exploiting them for big gains. That's a good point. And uh, you know, I, I would revert back to the Kentucky game last year. Um, Georgia went out, threw it a bunch of times against Alabama, goes against Kentucky, who probably, I mean, may have even had a better run defense than Alabama, runs the ball down their throat. Um, it doesn't result in a bunch of points, but Georgia tried to play ball control, and so did Kentucky, and that game went 100 miles an hour. I'm going to answer one more quick question here before we go. It's Craig Lawson. He says, any updates on Eric Gilbert and Scott Cochran? None. Uh, listen, those are personal issues, not something we're going to really dig into I, you know, to be honest with you, like when that first happened, I kind of made a decision myself as I'm not even going to look for information on this because, um, you know, when you hear what you hear, when those things come out about those things being personal, it's almost like that's really none of my business. I know it's uh, I know it is in a, in a sense my job to kind of figure out what's going on with the team. Uh, but but, you know, you kind of got to draw a line somewhere. And I think we as a side have kind of drawn the line there. And I think pretty much everybody else who covers Georgia and, and covers the game nationally has drawn that same line. And we'll know something when Kirby tells us something. And I assume he will um, as far as these things go, because when these guys come back, it's really good news and it's stuff you want to talk about. Um, so we're looking forward to the time that that comes, if it comes, and I uh, hope it comes soon for those guys and, and that they're able to kind of work through what they've got going on. That is all we've got for this week's episode, or for, I'm sorry, Wednesday's episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. We'll come back to you next, not on Thursday like we normally do. We'll be back with you on Friday. Not 100% sure on the timing of that show, but we're going to be in Nashville, um, you know, doing a, doing a show from Nashville, from the Valentine there on Broadway. And, uh, we hope to talk to you then. Uh, hope you tune in then. Uh, but for this episode, that's all we've got. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. He's Kip Adams from the same place. Take it easy.